Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of God Built This Podcast. I'm your host, Maxine, and we're on episode 171. I want to start off with whatever they say Michael Peterson did. He did that shit. (laughs) Shout out to Power. I just finished watching episode eight of The Staircase on HBO Max. I know I talk about it all the time, but please go watch it. I am just like speechless. I think speechless is the right word. Um, I'm flabbergasted. I'm angry. I'm infuriated. I'm sad. I'm disappointed. I'm disgusted. Like I'm so many emotions all wrapped in one because primarily I'm mad that for a moment, I really thought it was the owl. I'm sorry. Did you hear me? For a moment, I really thought it could have been the owl, this random owl that suddenly took the lives of a few people in the neighborhood because of the dense woods that they live in is responsible for the death of Kathleen Peterson. Am I, am I okay? <laughs> I think is I blame HBO really because the way that they produce this uh, show, the way that they break down every episode, the way that they did, like it doesn't push you to believe one theory. It really allows you to contemplate on whether or not it could be this or that, or it could have been that, like, and these, like, random things that they just come out your ass with, and I remember, I think it was in the previous episode, episode seven, or episode six, when they talked about the owl theory in detail, and I can't remember her name, but the woman, the pair, the Parisian woman whom Michael Peterson was in a relationship with while he was in prison, because they were writing to each other, and she was part of the filmmaking a crew who completed the documentary for him and his family. They created a relationship, a romantic one, and yada, yada, yada. So she was so, of course, just in love with him. I don't know why. Can we start there? Like, I don't know what about this nigga is unlovable. Um, no, like, no shot to count. Uh, to Colin Firth because let's go back to back down memory lane. Like I know Colin Firth from, let me, let's talk about what? Yeah. When he was handsome one. Okay. I remember him from Scarlet. No, 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 no. What's it called? Bridget Jones's diary. Y'all can we go back to 2002 for a second? When he was in Bridget Jones's diary, I don't know why I liked him. Like he was, you know, just like a funky white guy, but like his character just had um just had a way with uh, had a way with uh, sorry, I'm like reading these like headlines. It, there's a headline that says how Colin First's wife covered up her affair. What what, <laughs> what the fuck? Um no, but okay, so let me just type in because I'm just going back down memory lane real quick. Colin Firth, Bridget Jones. There we go. Bridget Jones's diary. Yep, that came out in 2001. And there was a sequel to it. I think there's a uh there's a trilogy to it. Um, but when he was in that movie, well, he is in that movie. The movie is ongoing. <laughs> he was obviously much younger, 
But he was just, I don't know, he was just like this like handsome guy. He was kind of uptight, but he loved Bridget Jones and he didn't know how to be vulnerable. And Bridget Jones had to explore the relationship with Hugh Grant, who was this like bad boy whom she had a huge crush on, but she failed to see this good guy who had a hard time showing his emotions but eventually they figured it out. Like it was just a very cute movie. And I just remember me back then in 01, 02, 03, just watching these types of movies just incessantly, like just in a row, back to back to back. And Colin Firth was one of those actors who I would appreciate seeing on my screen. So you know, obviously this was him when he was much younger. And so he was a little bit more handsome and more put together. And I don't know, obviously his character isn't the same as Michael Peterson, but damn, what a transition. Oh my gosh, look at him. Yeah, and then he's in another, yeah. So in Bridget Jones's diary, his name was Mark Darcy. Yep, Mark Darcy. Ah, love, actually, that's the other one that I want to talk about. Love actually, first of all, that movie was anticlimactic for me. Um, I wasn't really it could have been better. I think it just was just all these other storylines all at once. They never really had a resolution. It didn't really make too much sense. Um, that little boy who had a crush on that girl, it just was like this weird ass, this British people just being weird. But the title of the movie was very romantic the trailer of the movie was very romantic it came out in 2003 like this was during the time when romantic comedies were hitting like back to back to back to back and so I saw a lot of Colin Firth in these movies and he was in Notting Hill yo oh my gosh oh no was he in Notting Hill no Hugh Grant was in Notting Hill but either way like these like British people like Hugh Grant Colin Firth um they just had a way with me back then. So seeing Colin Firth now in this just disturbing portrayal of Michael Peterson, it's cringy. It's cringy to say the very least. I think because there's like sexuality involved, it makes it that much of a gray area but I feel like and I'm a let's see if I can find her name that the Parisian woman that he uh created a relationship with while he was in prison. Let me go to imdb.com and I'm gonna staircase. And my thing is, is like I know like it's the politically correct thing to say, you know, I'll still date a man who is bisexual. Um, and I'm seeing like more, more videos of that, of people like saying the right thing saying, Oh yeah, I see no problem with that. But I'm also st still seeing some women who's like, mm, absolutely not. Um, I bring that up because Michael Peterson said that he's a bisexual man. And with this reality, it, it should be enough to be like, okay, I'm going to go now, right? Like as a woman, but these women or, well, this one woman, let me, okay, let me try to find her name. 
because I don't I want to keep on saying Parisian woman, Parisian woman. Um, Martha. No, that's his daughter. Hold on. Um, Sophie. Yes, Sophie. Of course, her name is Sophie. She's from Paris. <laughs> She's from Paris. Of course, her name is Sophie. Fucking Sophie. So Sophie is a Parisian woman who was a part of the film crew who filmed a documentary throughout the trial throughout just behind the scenes uh, during the court court hearing all of that and so Sophie developed feelings for him on a romantic level not only was she of course a part of the film crew she really was trying to break him free like she was doing everything she could to get him out of prison, to figure out another appeal, to really like ride for him. Like she's, hey, look, love who you want. That's fine. Um, like I'm not going to shit on you if you want to love someone who's in prison for murder. Whatever makes you happy. You know, I, I feel like at this point we have to accept it for what it is, you know? Um, so shout out to Sheree from Real Housewives. Love who you love. If Tyrone is the one you want to love, then so be it. Like, I I just don't feel the need to be so, like, judgmental. Like, oh, you so fucking dumb. That's why you're going to be dumb for the rest of your Like, I just, let it be. What does that have to do with you, you know? Anyway, but going to this in specifics, I just feel like when it comes to sexuality for a man, and if a man is claiming that he's bisexual, um, Oftentimes, not to be stereotypical, but let's just be very frank here. Can we be frank? Oftentimes, it's just a guise to say, I'm really gay, but I haven't been comfortable. I'm not yet comfortable with that identity in its fullness. So I'm just going to say, I'm just going to like tiptoe and say bisexual. That's really what it is. You know what I mean? So to... Paint it like, oh, I'm just bisexual and, oh, I've just been married to women. What, what, what's obviously been happening was he was more into men, okay, which explains his plethora of affairs, his string of affairs with men. You never saw, oh, I did cheat on my wife with a woman. No, no, no. It was always with men. So what the fuck? Like, so it's not like, oh, he's just like a sex addict or like he he just he's non-committal, right? It's specifically with men you are cheating on your wife with. So cut the shit. But he was going throughout, well, throughout this docuseries, he was proclaiming that, oh, Kathleen, his wife, his deceased wife, knew. Kathleen knew that I had a <laughs> likeness towards men and I will play around with them and you know whatever floats his boat and I feel like first I knew that was a lie and in episode eight spoiler alert he admits that that was a lie he never told Kathleen that he liked men he never told Kathleen that he is actively going into sexual affairs with men this was never an agreement that they came to conclusion with. Like it was never in a okay type of thing, you know? So that has nothing to do with it. <laughs> it was just the fact that he was not ready to be in his fullness and, you know, that's fine. Like I get that. I feel like, um, 
because it's a society that we live in, shout out to Pride Month, right? <laughs> it's a great time to talk about it. No, but because of the society that we live in, it's not as, or at least back then, at least. I'm sure now for some for some communities, but back then being in North Carolina, Durham, North Carolina, like that is the South. Um, it's not encouraged for men to explore their sexuality and be okay with their attraction towards other men like it's, it wasn't uh in uh, a courage type of sexual behavior and so of course it was done in the dl it was done in the down low so i was not convinced that he told his wife but he kept on being persistent and saying well kathleen was aware of my sexuality and oh my gosh my earring the ghetto okay i'm back so kathleen was aware of my sexuality when Okay, I dropped it again. And that was not the case. That was not the case. And in episode eight of this show, it became very clear that he, in fact, did lie. <laughs> there was no, and this is the last episode of the show. So if you haven't watched it yet, go ahead and do that. But I feel like being that he was already proven to be a liar during different parts of this show. So let's talk about that. Um, he was in the army. Yeah, in the army or Navy, one of those shit, you know, whatever. Fine for the country. And he lied about a certain award that he received and um, like a blue button, blue ribbon award, whatever that is. And when he was like exposed, he like denied it and he got discharged, but it was an improper discharge. So it really left a bad stain upon his, his character overall. And so that's one example. Um, what else? So, and so when he was running for a po politician role in North Carolina, he was approached by that. He was like, okay, why did you lie? You know, that is such a horrible thing to do within the army. Like you can't do stuff like that. He never really copped, uh, just the, the honest truth for it. So I don't know. There's like so many examples of him lying, giving white lies. So you mean to tell me this liar told his wife, Hey, I'm really a gay man. And I'm really interested in men that I am in women and I don't want to be in this marriage anymore because I really want to just be gay with men. Um, <laughs> like, he's obviously lying. But this woman, Sophie, I don't know. She just decided to take that out of her head. Like, I don't know. She just, like, purposely shut off her brain. I don't know. She purposely just closed her earlobes and was like... Or just her ears like, oh, I'm not going to listen. La, 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 Like, I don't know. But throughout the documentary, and of course, her being a part of the film crew and the filming of their separate documentary, she had to have been aware because she was interviewing his lovers. And she was approaching him about the claims of his sexual affairs with men and he admitted in previous scenes in the documentary that yeah you know I flirted with like he'll try to dumb it down but 
he's had sex with so many, so many men. And it wasn't until things got really like obvious, like until what happened, um, until some of the men like in the neighborhood whom he was sleeping with came forward and was like, yeah, you know, we did sleep together, da, 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 da. but they were compromised since the case, the prosecutors in the case wanted to paint Michael Peterson as this philandering homosexual. But anyway, I tell this to say he did that shit. Um, we see at the end of episode eight that, okay, he finally just took the plea deal of admitting of guilt, um, though he still uh, commits to his innocence. He says that, okay, well, I'm just going to take this plea deal so that he could get out of prison. And that was what he did. So he took the plea deal. He's finally freed. He's no longer incarcerated. And he is now in the home of Sophie, who rented out a home in North Carolina to be closer to him. Mind you, she lived in Paris before. Okay, before she moved down to North Carolina, she lived in Paris. She was in Paris working on this documentary, putting the pieces together. She was like the editor of it. So that was her role. But she got so into and got so in love with Michael Peterson that she committed to really being with this guy and flew into America, flew to North Carolina specifically to be closer to him. She visited him every weekend. Like, so she really rode for this guy. And so while they were writing to each other and all that, um, they made plans to move to Paris, you know, for her to move back to Paris and he accompany her and they just live this Parisian life. And this has been, this has been a conversation, a plan for months and boom, finally he's out. Okay. Yeah. We could finally do this Paris dream that we've been hyping up. And this thing I want to be like, I don't want to be with women. That's what he said to her. He said, I do not want to be with women. I don't want to go to Paris with you. And take it. Like, that's it. Like, that's it. You know, and he said, he blurted it out. And the scene was, of course, so emotional. She's feeling like, like, did you ever even love me? Like, was this even real? Um, we've been planning this for months, for years, and now it's time to go and you don't want to go. And he was being snappy with her previously, um, or right before that moment. And it just proved that you really can't be with a guy who's in prison. Hello? That that's that's what that's what I got from it. Now <laughs> that was the messaging for me. It proved to me. That you cannot be with a man who is incarcerated. I know I just said a couple of minutes ago, you know, I'm not, you know, just love who you love. You want to love someone who's in prison, that's fine. I'm just saying it is not to your benefit to be with a man who's in prison. And I say that because in prison, you have all the time in the time is really infinite in prison. Like you really like time goes by slow or maybe fast in some, some cases, but I think ultimately it goes by slow. 
um, you are counting or thinking of counting the time. I don't think that's clocks, but your time is really of the essence. Once you're incarcerated, there is no, oh, I'll do it at six o'clock. No, you might as well do it now because you got all the time in the world. Um, there's, I, mean, I think there's like a curfew, not curfew time, but like a lights out time, <clears throat> a lights out time in which lights are literally turned off. It's time to go to sleep or just shut up and be in your cell locked up. The point of what I'm saying is this whole time he was in prison, he was writing to Sophie. She was writing to him. They were consistently in contact with each other. And it was an opportunity for him to demonstrate his writing chops because prior to to him being in prison, he was a writer. He he wrote several books, and writing to him is just his 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 way of being. Is his love language, I guess. And it was it's so easy to get caught up with writing, with the words, with the fantasy of your mind, and where we could be. You know, where would you want to go if you had no debt? Where would you want to go? Like you could kind of go go there mentally, and for him to kind of feed her a lie knowing that he's really gay knowing that it's not just a bisexual thing it's not just a, a one time or a couple of time affair with men no 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 he's really not into you like that it's just it's disheartening like that's the first word that comes to mind because I just, I just look at her. I'm like, dang, but why did she even think there was a future with a man who says he's bisexual and not just say he's bisexual, but who has had affairs with men exclusively on his wife? You know, like, I think it's one thing to, I don't know, like be with someone who may not have been completely faithful in his previous relationship, but you may think, okay, well, that's that. You know, I know what we got, yada, yada, yada. But it's another thing when it is specific to an opposite gender. Like, you are specifically seeking out men to have a sexual affair with. Like, why, do you, why did you think you had any power? You know, like, why did you think there was anything that you could have done to suddenly shut that door you know I just don't Sophie what was going on and for her to have already been married like she was married while she was engaging in this emotional love affair with Michael Peterson and maybe her marriage was just very dull and um unfulfilling and you know that is what it is but damn I feel like at the very least if you're gonna cheat like at least (laughs) With a bisexual man, like who ex- who exclusively dated men or had affairs with men, you know that's that's what I'm just trying to wrap my head around. I, even though you know I'm not trying to shoot her while she's down, I'm sure she's moved on. This was years ago, but you know, watching this this show, it just feels so present right now. Um, it's just very just disheartening. It's very disheartening. And, you know, I think ultimately if we lived in a society, of course, that was more accepting to all sexualities in, you know, in any gender, then this wouldn't have even been a case. 
in this episode, Michael Peterson talks about how when he was much younger, he knew that he was like attracted to girls, but in his fantasy, like he said, there was one time when he was in, he was uh, a little boy and he was uh, doing baseball. He was playing baseball and um, he's playing baseball. What happens? He's playing baseball and he's like fantasizing about this girl. But then in his fantasy, there is a boy in it. And there's a name for, like it's called a shorthand, some baseball uh, position. And this boy was in his fantasy as well. And he realized in that fantasy that he was more into the boy than he was the girl. Like, I think he just felt conditioned to be attracted to girls because that is you know, the conditioning or, you know, for the most part, you know, boys like girls and girls like boys, yada, yada, yada. So I think that was naturally in his fantasy, but that didn't prove that he was into girls. You know what I mean? Like, cause ultimately when he had to just in his fantasy alone, he was more attracted to boys. And he talked about that in this, in, in one of the scenes in this episode. And it just solidified that, he is gay. He's gay. And in that final scene with Sophie, him saying he doesn't want to live with women anymore. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, Sophie. Oh, man. I just felt so sad. Like, damn. Like, why does she, th- well, why does she think that? I don't know. I'm just really upset that she even, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I'm sorry to see that. I'm, it's just really unfortunate. Um, so I didn't want to, um, what's the word? I don't want to spoil the show by researching more about this case until I was done with the series. And since this episode is done, it's the last episode of the series. It's a limited series at that. I'm going to take some time to just explore it and like figure out, you know, where are they now type of thing? Like, what is Sophie doing? Um, I think Michael Peterson is still living in North Carolina. I don't know what's going on with that. Maybe he doesn't want to start a new somewhere else. <sighs> but yeah, he did that shit. I think he really did that shit. I think the theory, there was an episode where they fully fleshed out what it would have looked like, what it would have looked like if he killed her hit with his bare hands. And I believe that theory. I think she, oh, and they painted it out in episode eight. There was, okay, so what happened was Kathleen, she was, and then another thing, Michael Peterson was kind of like a bum, really, you know, like he didn't really have much going for himself, he relied on his wife to really, like, take care of him, Um, his wife was working long and hard in a firm, not as a lawyer, but she was, like, one of the business partners of of a firm, something, And that job brought with it a lot of stress and high anxiety and pressure. And apparently because of how their 401k is matched or set up that at any instant, her savings that was well over a million dollars suddenly just crashes and is now $12. Like, wait, what the fuck is that? Like, I don't understand. So she experienced that and she told 
her husband that and he's like like he lives in like a la la land he's not really much of, of a provider um everything is really on her he he didn't really accept that from her or he wasn't like okay well um, we're gonna get it to you know we're gonna build each other up I'm gonna get a job I'm, like it was nothing like that there was no fire to him like he wasn't a provider <laughs> like he had an office in the house but that office I think it just only consisted of him writing you know typing his next novel or an article or whatever and it was never an instant that was oh I worked a long days at work it was always Kathleen doing the work doing the provision and I think ultimately when you have a partnership that is one-sided and even if it's on some okay maybe the the woman the wife here is more of the provider role than stereotypically the man is the husband is I think that's still fine um I know I said like episodes ago that that's not really like if things aren't done in like a natural order then some resentment is had I still kind of believe that but I feel like ultimately if one person is only bearing the burden of just maintenance and upkeep of the lifestyle that we're living, then that's going to just be a grunt on that person just naturally, whether it's a, a wife or a husband. So either way, if the wife is the one who's more of the provider or if the wife is the one who makes more of the money, I don't think that's a bad thing. I just think if the husband is not showing provision in any way, then naturally there will be some resentment had for both parties. I really think, I think it's also some resentment from the husband, like, damn, you know, I wish I could be more of a provider to my home. And he's not much of a, of a resourceful guy. Instead, what he does was there was a, <laughs> but there was a scene when he was, I don't mean, this is 30 minutes in. Let me, <laughs> I'm going to wrap up with this topic. Hold on. But it's so fascinating. Oh, my gosh. But uh, what happened? So he makes more time jerking off in a blockbuster adult section in the store than he does providing for his family and his household. Like, what in the world is going on? I feel like prior to Kathleen even knowing or having a hunch of him being bisexual and more so gay, I think that alone would have been enough. And what I mean by that alone, I think him alone not being the provider that he could be or that he should be, um, not helping out around the house, not doing much in the house, that would have been enough for me to be like, divorce! Like, what are we talking about? Like, what are we doing here? Like, that's enough. And then after the divorce, I find out, oh, shit, he was really into men. Oh, like, oh, well, at least I left that marriage, you know? But for him to just, like, not give a fuck. <laughs> like, there was a scene when, in the, the whole blockbuster thing, I didn't just make that out of my head. Like, that was a real scene, a real moment that happened in which, you know, remember blockbusters? Uh, you could go into a video store and watch in live time or like watch a video in like a little booth section of pornography. Like what? <laughs> I wouldn't, like, I just can't imagine doing that in public. That's so interesting. I remember one time I went to a porn store. 
was it a porn store? Not like, you know, a kinky store. Because I was just like fucking care. I want to see what's going on in here. I want to see. So, you know, being a black woman, <laughs> walking in and, you know, kind of getting the impression. And I, and I don't say this to brag, but I do get the um, misconception of looking younger than I am. And I'm not saying that to brag. I really am not. I'm just saying that I get that often. So being that I get that already, I knew as soon as I walked into that store, <laughs> I would have been approached with a, ma'am, are you lost? And this was like mad years ago. So I looked even younger, but I was of age. <laughs> anyway, what happened? So I walked in, <laughs> this was like in the Hicks of Boston. Like it was, yeah, it wasn't here in Houston. It was like in Boston, but like in a more deserted area. Anyway, I was just like kind of curious. I would see it often when I would drive a particular route. And so I wanted to see what's going on. <laughs> I'm walking in. It just felt so uncomfortable because one, it was deserted. And of course there was a clerk there, but it was just like this older white guy kind of over, you no, know, definitely overweight, stomach hanging. And he's probably, and he's looking up at me every second. Like, are you like, he just felt uncomfortable that I was there. And I felt uncomfortable at that point. Like, you know what? I'll just fucking go. <laughs> so that was that. But I say this to say, when Michael Peterson went to the Blockbuster, um, it was understood that he was there for a particular thing. The cashier knew what he wanted and where he was going to go. That was it. Like, it was an understanding. So for him to frequent there and for Kathleen Peterson to not have... An inkling, at least in that moment, there's other scenes that showed he was um, flirting with a man, like a man who was obviously gay. And I know oh, you can't tell someone gay. You could tell. Stop. You could tell. You could fucking tell. Um, so there was almost when they will go to like parties together, like galas, like very formal parties. And you see Michael Peterson who can't just like, he can't control, like he is so into men and he can't control his urges. And it's like this instant impulse pull towards any man who will, who will catch the bait. He like, he'll put bait out there. And if you catch it, boom, let's go to the back room. Like it was always something like that. And so when he caught, the gaze of a gay man who happened to have been working at the party, he was like, just like cuddling up with him. He put his hand over his hand, just on some like, nigga, what the, you came here with your wife and you are publicly flirting and about to go to a back room with this man. Like, come on, dog. I just, I don't know. It, just, it was a lot. It was a lot. Oh, it was a lot. Anyway, let's move on. Let's move on. Fuck. <laughs> Woo, this show got me by the chokehold, but let's move forward. So I decided to have the talk with my therapist, the talk about the birds and the bees. No, no, I just decided to be like, you know, um, I don't really need this anymore. <laughs> but I said it in a way, okay, it was very kind of um, subtle and indirect, <laughs> until he asked me straight up and I was like, yeah, but let me paint it out. So we had our session <clears throat> a few days ago and, um, I was like, prior to the session, I was thinking like, I really don't want to go. Like, I, I just, I don't feel like I need to anymore. I just, I'm kind of over it. 
the way I am, like when I get in like my moments of really high intense anxiety, I want a therapy session right then and there, right? I don't want to wait, you know, a couple of days or a couple of weeks or whatever. Um, and I know he did say I could text him if, you know, something comes up. And sure, maybe I'll use that if I need to. But I feel like those days that when I was very like high strung are no longer or it hasn't been a thing for me lately, thankfully. And I really, it's not like, oh, something just like snapped and I'm good, right? It's just, I've learned how to calm myself and I've learned how to implement the tools that he's given me to, and that I've learned along the years as well. Like there's, you know, there's other practices that I've been putting into measure to help me cope with anxiety. And so, um, I just, and there was all, there was also just like nothing else to talk about. Like I didn't have nothing else to say, you know, I didn't want to keep on rehashing childhood trauma. Like we already had two sessions about it enough, you know, like I don't want to keep on talking about things that I really don't have the energy for. It has not like, you know, I just, and I say this to say, I think we live in a society where it's frowned upon to say, I don't want this help anymore. This help that is seen as the the holy grail. And if you deny therapy, then you're always going to be fucked up. And I don't think that's the case. I feel like you have to, ultimately, you should be learning to be more independent in all ways, right? You shouldn't have to depend on someone for your mental health. Like, my mental health isn't dependent upon me having a therapist. Like I'm pretty, I'm good. And I say this respectfully because I feel like, you know, there's a difference in someone like me who doesn't have a diagnosed mental disorder or personality disorder, but someone else who may have a diagnosis that is clear, um, that is bipolar, that is, ADHD, whatever it is, that is definitely influencing and disc or um, inconveniencing their lives, then I think that's a different situation. But someone like me, who is not that, and who is able to care for myself, I don't need to depend on this this treatment, right? And not like he put me on drugs or anything, but it's just like, uh, I don't want to fucking sit here anymore. <laughs> I'm done. I just think sometimes using a couple of sessions, kind of flush things out, taking the tools, use them out. Like I, I'm not only good when I'm in his presence. You know what I mean? Like, and that's the thing. I think sometimes you have these patients who are, oh, I feel so good now that I, I talked to my therapist. But like, what are you learning in your therapist session that in your therapy session that you are not taking with you outside of it? Like, what are you learning that you are only exclusively using it when you're with your therapist? Like, that is so fucking dumb. That's dumb. But okay, so at the end of the therapist, he always ends it with, so when am I going to see you again? And before I arrived there, I was thinking about that question. Like, okay, what should I say? Because I don't want to see him in the next two weeks because that's usually the time frame from when I would see him. And I didn't want to just say like, oh, let's do three weeks because I really just didn't want to see him that soon. Because again, with the last session, you know, the one previous to this one, it was just kind of nothing. Like it didn't, I didn't need it. 
So um, I set it like a, a distant date. I was like, oh, we could do August 23rd or some random date in August. And he's like, oh, why so far? First, he asked me again. Like, oh, you said, what did you say? I said, August. So I, I stood down on it. Like, oh, I said, August. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, why so far? I'm like, well, I don't really think I need it as um, frequently anymore. I think I've calmed down since our first session and I've learned how to cope well. And yet, like, I was really kind of just explaining myself the way that I am now and saying how I'm not dependent upon this anymore. And he was like, great, that's good. So let's keep it as an as needed basis, which means whenever I need him, <laughs> he's there and I'll schedule it. But otherwise we could just go ahead and get up and go. So that was great. I was like, okay, Ooh, thank God. So I think that's great. And I say this to say like, you are not indebted to your therapist. Like you could fucking go. You don't have to give a, you know, long winded explanation. You don't have to guilt yourself into still going, even though if you feel like you're good, you know, and then me taking a break, not break. I'm, I'm kind of done really, but like just me saying I'm done now. doesn't mean that I won't ever go. I'm fucking done. No, I had a great session, great sessions with him. And if I need him again, it'll be an as needed basis. So I'm happy that I did that. Um, so that's a quick update on that. Let's talk about Christian influencers. Real quick. Let me just go ahead and sip this water. Fuck my thing though. Um, so Christian influences, influencers. So there was this, um, hold on. Oh, I just get so parched. Okay. There was this, um, Instagram post that I came across a couple of weeks ago. And it talked about how the Christian influencers or many of them now, who are like rampant in Instagram and, you know, different social media platforms are not doing it with the center of Christ as they portray themselves to be. And like, you know, is God really at the center of it? And what I mean by that is I think for those who may not be familiar. So an influencer is someone who influences you to buy shit. <laughs> really, that's really what it is. They wear things, they include links for their outfits, and they talk about why this item is amazing and why you should buy it. And here, click my link. And my link has a 10% discount. And this is why you should buy it. And this is why you should buy this. This is why you should buy that. It's like literally every post that they post, whether it's an Instagram story or an Instagram post, it is for the intent to sell. It is for the intent to make a profit out of you, the consumer. And, you know, and that's just America, right? Like that's really consumerism is really what makes the world go round. So I can't even honestly fault them for that. So when I came across that uh, that post, pretty much shaming Christian influencers and making it seem like. Christian influencers aren't really about falling Christ. I think it's uh, it's not a true statement. I don't think there is such a thing as a Christian influencer because ultimately it's not going to be about God. It's about 
is about how can I persuade you to buy this outfit that I look so good in, right? Oh my gosh, don't I look so good in this outfit? And then you're going to fantasize yourself into this outfit. And then you're going to click this link that I, that I included in my post. And you're going to be influenced to purchase this outfit, right? And because of your, because of my influence upon you, um, you are now with this outfit. You are now, uh, you know, a holder of this item. And it's never, the thing is with influencing is never going to be about God. It can't ever be about God. It's just like, it just like in its, in its essence, it can't because it's really about consumerism. It's really about making a profit. It's really about money. How can I get off on you, really? It's not about how can I bring you closer to, G to Jesus Christ? How can I influence you to live a life of Christ, right? Like you could, and here's the thing that I would notice in, in Christian influencers, they would, um, what happened? Like they would post a Bible verse here or there, or they'll, um, show a live sermon that's happening at their church that they're in attendance right now. And, you know, it looks optically nice, but after that sermon that you posted, you're going to include a link to sign up for your class that has a $25 registration fee. And then you're going to show me a link to your workout gear that you wore to the, to the gym for your training session. And then you're going to include a link that links you to the trainer who charges 600 for four sessions. Like it's always going to lead to money. So this whole, like, you know, I feel like that post of whoever that woman was, because she was a Christian influencer. She's, she's a Christian influencer as well. And she's like shaming other Christian influencers talking about, is your post really about God or is it about you? Like, is it about vanity? Is it about like, are we seeing God in your post or are we seeing more of you and vanity and beauty? And it's just like vain shit. And I feel like it just came out very judgmental. Like, I think... Like, we have to recognize that this is how some people make a living. A lot of people make a living off of a post. Off of a post. And you have to make it like you have to sell something to earn a profit and do it continuously to earn more of a profit, to earn a real profit. And so, and it's not the P-R-O-P-H-E-T profit. No, it's, it's the money profit. It's the P-R-O-F-I-T profit is what it is. So this whole idea of, you know, is Christ at the center of it? I mean, what? <laughs> How? How can he? Because you're you're selling something too, right? Like, <clears throat> and the only thing to like distinguish Christian influencers from like other like secular influencers is saying oh like in their um instagram bio they'll put jesus there right amongst other descriptors but they'll say follow of christ or jesus fitness family right um or faith fitness fashion like it just they always included god in it which is like okay cool this person is clearly a um a christian influencer but um, they're going to make a profit. Like, it's just, we can't, 
I think it's hard to find a line of clarity when it comes to Christians and money, right? Like, when can we finally say, hey, this is not a scam. I need to be able to make a living to, hey, we're focusing too much on money than we are on our souls. Like, I don't know where the line could be drawn. I don't know if it can be drawn. And I also don't want to put off this perception that, oh, Jesus was poor. That means you got to be poor, right? Like, Jesus wasn't, like, banking. He wasn't, you know, making much money, a carpenter. Like, you know, that's not making much money, really, you know? Um, at least back then, but you know, like Jesus wasn't like living high roller lifestyle. <laughs> he wasn't living in mansions. So in order to be like Christ, you got to be like that. You got to, uh, you know, the best Christian is those who are impoverished. And I just don't feel like that's the life that should be promoted. Like, I don't think that should be okay. And I think oftentimes when we think about, Christianity and being a, a real Christian, then you can't be a real Christian if you're filthy rich, you know, like, you know, and all these like, um, these big time pastors and mega churches, they can't really have a heart for God because look at what he's wearing. He's wearing Jordans every Sunday, you know, he's coming in with the bends and it just gives this impression that he's more materialistic than he is about God. And I just wonder, like, why can't I also have a nice, luxurious lifestyle and worship God, right? Like, I don't think having a couple of items that are of luxury should mean that I am idolizing those items, right? Like, I don't think it should mean that. So I think we just have since the dawn of time, we just always had this like negative idea of money, you know, and um, money is the root of all evil. And I think that has always been pushed into Christian churches. And it's really not money, you know, it's really the love of money, right? If you have um, a love for money, then you do family, then you do character, then then that I, I think that's a problem. But if you, yeah, you may have a love for money, but if what you're doing for it, like you may love because you love money because money is helping you able to provide for yourself and your family and you're able to live a lifestyle that brings you joy and excitement and happiness. Like then I don't think we should be shaming people for that. You know, regardless if you are, a Christian or not. I just think we have to stop this whole like negative idea of what money should look like and what it should serve in our lives. Like it's a tool. It's a tool that we use and you can use it for good or you can use it for evil, but money should be used as a, just a tool. And it shouldn't be seen as this like materialistic perception and oh, you can't be, it's just like retarded. Like let people fucking live dog. So I don't like that. Oh, hold on one second. Um, so yeah, I don't like that. Um, so yeah, I just feel like ultimately when you think about like Christian influencers, I think you can be a Christian and be an influencer. 
Um, but I think it's like separate, right? Because as an influencer, you are, of course, influencing your audience to purchase whatever you're marketing. And as a Christian, you're going to talk about God and your love for God and why you too should love God. Um, that I just feel like two things that you like that may not be a part of your identity, like together, <laughs> but it could be like, Oh, I'm a Christian comma and I'm an influencer. That's what I'm saying. Okay. I got it out. That's, that's what I want to say. Like, I don't think you could be a Christian influencer, but you could be a Christian comma influencer comma you know, fashion blogger, comp. like, you know, like, you don't have to be a, I'm a Christian fashion blogger. Like, what the fuck does that mean? Like, what are you talking about? Okay. You're a Christian fashion blogger. Okay. Are you a man though? Are you a woman? <laughs> Who are you? What is a woman? Um, so yeah. Um, let's talk about Amanda Seals. Amanda Seals was purposely left from the farewell episode of the real and what's interesting about this is she was there for she was on the real for six months that was her contract and she decided to not renew it at the end of the contract deal because uh for for a plethora of reasons she just felt like ultimately her soul was not enriched there she was not encouraged to be her whole self um the powers that be didn't allow for her to speak on whatever she wanted to speak on as her full self. And it, it got in the way of just her, her character. And so she spoke out against the real a lot and, um, her speaking out of it or, or speaking out against the show, it put on this perception of her being very bitter and I, I can't lie and say that I didn't look at her that way because I did. I think for a while it was very much talking. It was it sounded like talking shit, like a lot of times talking shit about the show. And I think, though, I recently watched an interview of her on The Breakfast Club and it was very enlightening. I think I just calmed down my idea of her. And allow for her to just like talk, right? Like instead of just telling her who she is, you know, through the internet streets, I feel like, okay, let me give her the opportunity to just really, you know, be herself and listen to that. So that's what I did. And I learned a lot from what she was saying. She was saying how people were conflating her talking shit about the show to her holding the show accountable. And when I think about, the issues that she raised about what was happening on the show, they were issues that needed to be said. But being that she is someone who is not going to just shut up and take it, she's not just going to acquiesce because it's the right thing to do or the nice thing to do. She holds people accountable. It ruffles feathers and it makes people uncomfortable if they're not ready to, to face it and do the work. And I think that's really the backlash that I see or that I'm recognizing. And I had to check myself and realize, oh, I think I was giving her, you know, obviously not in person because I don't know her, but I was having an opinion on her based off of this like immediate perception. 
but I didn't really sit down and listen to what she was saying. And so when I did, finally, by watching this interview of her on The Breakfast Club, it really opened my eyes to saying like, wow, that's really true. You know, when we leave a position, sometimes there's this, um, not even sometimes, there's this expectation, this mandate expectation to just do so quietly, you know, just be professional and walk away quietly. And that's not like being real, right? <laughs> um, it's not being real. Um, and it's not being honest. Like, I think you have to still speak up and say, hey, the last few years, the, the last few moments I had at this job was not equitable. And here are the reasons why. It makes people uncomfortable, but it needs to be said. And with Amanda Seals, I think she makes people uncomfortable because she says what needs to be said. So I, at the very least, you know, whether I agree with her on certain topics or not, I think at the very least, I respect that. I think she is a necessary voice. Um, well, you know, at least for some topics, but for that topic in particular, you know, when it comes to toxic work environments, workplaces overall that demonstrate toxicity, you need to have people brave enough to speak up and speak out against it and to not just shut up and take it. Because ultimately, when you speak up and speak out, you know, maybe the change doesn't happen with you, but you planted that seed of change. And now it's going to grow and fester. And maybe your influence of being a revolutionist will impact others to speak up and change as well. So I think, you know, ultimately with her, she needs to just continue being herself. I, I, I think, you know, with people like that, you're not going to get along with everybody. You're not. And you see that obviously manifested in how some people receive her from the show Insecure. The guy, I forgot his real, his show name, uh, but he was a tall guy uh, that even Molly, when Molly was dating that, dating that married character because he had an open marriage, um, he was saying, his real name is Sarunas, Sarunas, S-A-R-A-U-N-A-S, Jackson. And he had a, a, shit told, a shit load to say about Amanda Seals that was negative. <laughs> Basically, like, she's just always negative. She always has an attitude. And to say the very least, just go Google it. And they just did not have a strong relationship. And he called her out on it. Um, and there was a moment when she was disinvited or she wasn't on the list for Issa's birthday party. And she ended up leaving and it was a this big thing. Either way, I, I don't think she, I think sometimes maybe she comes off to people very aggressive and maybe that's not the right word. You know, she's a black woman and I, you know, I, I get that. I get that. But I think you could still be a fucking aggressive. Like, can you cut the shit? Like, stop it. Like you could be aggressive and be a black woman. It doesn't have to be a, a racist comment to say, you could just be fucking aggressive. What else do you want me to say? Like, don't be so fixated on the word. Um, but because of her being the way that she is, sometimes she's just hard to take in. 
is really hard to take in. So, you know, it is what it is. I think ultimately her message of speaking out and speaking up against toxic work environments is, is necessary. So I appreciate, I appreciate, I appreciate her for that moment, um, or for just being that way naturally. So that's what's up. I think that's awesome. But, um, yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and end this episode here. Thank you all so much for listening and I will check in with you guys next time. Peace. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of God Built This Podcast with your host, Maxine. Be sure to leave a review, give me five stars, and of course, subscribe. Also, follow God Built This Podcast on Instagram at God Built This Pod. God bless.